Welcome to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast, hosted by award-winning television director, documentary filmmaker, author, and speaker, Craig D. Forrest. Join Craig for the next few minutes as he interviews leaders, artists, and creatives about trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Matchstick Media International. Now, here's Craig. Welcome to the podcast. We're talking to a very, very veteran uh, feature film director, Michael Seibel. Long career working in visual effects, camera. Also a very good writer and director. Welcome to the show, to the program, to the podcast, Michael Seibel. I have, a, I guess, a, a two-part question. Now, one is, I, I looked on your credits, Broken Arrow, and oh, so many more, probably dozens, uh, working in visual effects, second unit. That's a great way to learn your craft and to be on a set. And my second part of the question would be, what's it like being a person of faith working in a secular industry? I'll, I'll let you take which part of that you want to jump on. Well, um, the, the part about me being a cameraman for all these shows is very funny because I wasn't a cameraman. I, I got into the business as a writer and potential director, you know, or, a, you know, shall we say an ambitious wannabe director. Ultimately, I wanted to do that. And uh, so I was, uh, f- we were getting ready to film an episode. Uh, and we, we did the action parts of these shows, not the a- a- actors themselves, but all the other stuff, the cars jumping through the air, smashing into stuff, explosions, wrecks, nuclear detonations, all that cool stuff. And we, um, I was in, by the, in the, at the Hanson Dam in uh, Sepulveda Basin and where the 405 and the 101 cross in LA, getting ready to shoot the Knight Rider car crashing into the Hanson Dam. And um, my partner was not there. And uh, he's the cameraman. I'm just kind of like a businessman at this point, And I, I assemble the crew and I make sure the equipment is there, the insurances. I mean, I was doing all of that kind of production managing and I see a car drive out and it's the studio uh, universal, I believe. And uh, then he, they talk to my other producer who comes up to me. He says, yeah, they, they fired your, your partner. They don't want to ever see him again or hear about him. He was uh, mouthing off at the studio commissary for some reason. And I go, well, well, who are we going to get to shoot this stuff? And my, this producer turned to me and said, you're going to shoot it. You're, the, you're now the cameraman. Go, go film it. And I went, I've, I, I, did, I, I shot a couple of my own movies in college. I mean, this is like professional, 35 millimeter and, and, and all that. And they go, I said, well, what if, what if we have night scene and, and I need lights? And he goes, read a book. You're the cameraman. <laughs> so, huh. That people spend their entire life, um, you know, studying something and hoping to be something. And, and sometimes it's just a matter of being at the right place at the right time. This, this, this dropped in your lap. Yeah. So I started filming and um, it's, it's uh, the journey. It's kind of like a film history class. If somebody's listening to you, shall we say in the under 30 range, 
because I started being a second unit cameraman with Bill Butler. Well, somebody would say, who's that? He shot Jaws. Okay. Uh, Alan Davio. What did he oh, shoot? Sure. E.T. Yeah. Janusz Kaminski. Mm-hmm. I was on a film with him. He Schindler's, had, Schindler's he, List. He shot Schindler's List. So in, in, in a rapid fire within about two to three, four years, I was working with the who's who of directors of photography and uh, Fred Elms, who shot all the David Lynch's films. I mean, got masters of light, masters of cinema. And so to this day, I, I've kind of like let my technical area go because I haven't done any camera work for 15 years, maybe. But I can tell a director of photography on one of my movies, hey, why don't we go for this look? Or why don't we, you know, try this or that? And we we reference classical paintings, we Mm -hmm. reference other movies, and so forth. So that that was that's the answer, I think, to your question about that. But the the faith based question is very interesting because I believe as a Christian, I'm called to not only serve my masters, the people who hire me and put confidence in me. And by the way, there are millions of dollars on the line. Okay, Uh, and so it's really a heightened degree of confidence that they have in you, but also that we are the best we absolutely can be. So, yeah, you're darn right. I studied my butt off and and uh, all of that. So what I did was uh, uh, when I was filming uh, secular things like uh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie comes to mind, Hot Shots Part One and Part Two. Broken Arrow, you mentioned Speed, um, uh, gosh, The Hunt for Red October, uh, all of these movies. What I would do is before we started the clock, uh, if we're going to start at 8 a.m. or 6, 7 a.m. or whatever, before that, I would gather the crew together and strictly volunteering, we would have a word, a word of prayer. And uh, the prayer would be that all of our stuff looks great that we perform very high at a high level and uh, also that nobody would be harmed. There's a lot of electricity when it comes to making movies. And sometimes explosions. Oh yeah. Explosions, electricity, sometimes chemicals, uh, all all kinds of things. Um, And uh, you know, you know, you're, if you're concentrating on one thing, stunts, driving, high speed, dangerous stunts, all of that. You have guns. No, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I've only... I, I mean that, you know what I mean? In, yeah, in I, I, you, you want to be safe with the prop guns that you have. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever done a film with guns. I'll have to get back to you on that. If something comes <laughs> to mind, That's okay. I, I just, yeah, for some reason, I blow up big stuff, not little stuff. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so anyway, uh, I, I. So you guys, I would, you, guys would, you guys would have prayer in the morning. Yeah, and, and, and then we were very successful. Then when I started doing faith-based stuff, like, um, well, I would say that I did a movie a couple years ago now, and a couple means more than 10, right? Uh, that was um, the called The Ultimate Gift. Hmm. And uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, write the final version and uh, um, uh, direct it. And it... Uh, I then if it's on my dime, if it's on my the producers are friendly and and all of that, even though it's not a faith based film, um, 
we would pray on the clock. So if the clock started at, at 8 a.m., we would have our prayer right after the AD had a safety meeting. And we would um, have a quick prayer. And I've had actors, uh, I don't know if I want to embarrass anyone. Well, Brian Dennehy, for instance, said, well, this is a new one. And I don't think he was being, you know, all critical or, uh, you know, cutting or acerbic or anything like that. And uh, James Garner, uh, we just, it's just, it's just natural to pray before you go and invoke God and the Holy Spirit to protect you. Um, I had one guy on a, a movie I did in India called One Night with a King, uh, where I was director. I, I, I found out a day or two later that some guy got shocked with our generator. Oh, wow. And the Indian crew would have their own ceremony, which was Hindu. And uh, it, it involved usually some, I, I imagine idols or, or whatever they, um, whoever they pray to other gods. And uh, that first day, um, a guy was, you know, electrocuted, but not fatally okay. uh, on, uh, by a generator. And there's thousands of, of volts and, and however you measure the most powerful element, uh, maybe it's Watts. I, I, I really can't tell you. I'm, I'm, now blissfully ignorant of all uh, technical information. I, I just, now I'm in the nice position to be able to just tell people what I want. And I trust that they know all the technical aspects. There you go. Um, you brought up something about, uh, I, I, always, I always believe that whenever Brian Dennehy showed up on a film, he, he brought a good, uh, a, a good role in uh, presence and such, which brings me to the thought, a question. Um, what, what are some of your thoughts about working with people that are famous? I will tell you on my side, which is mostly television, I've worked with some really famous people in television and such. And the people at the top of the craft usually were the nicest people to work with. They were professional and they wanted to do a good job. Tell me what you want. I'll do it. Uh, and but the people that were part of the entourage or the agents and such, they could be a little difficult. I mean, what's your pers uh, pers perspective on that? Uh, I agree with you, Craig, that um, more mature actors are really a dream to work with. And you just have to know what and this applies to any actor from a child actor all the way up to a mature actor you have to find out where their space is, where they go to create their performance. And you have to make them as comfortable as possible. You have to be as accommodating as possible. And generally with the more mature actors, you give them the script weeks in advance and they go through their own process, but you don't then on the set say, change this one word or, or do it this way I, I, where you can, you can, you can have them ramp it up or, or, or back it down in terms of a, their tenor, but uh, you can't say, switch those two lines around, you know, that type of thing, because you're now violating whatever process they used mm -hmm. to get to there. And so I'm um, uh, very, very cognizant of uh, uh what goes into acting and how unique and incredible it is. And I think any director, yourself included, will say that there's a difference between an actor acting 
and what you see in the camera. Right. There, there's some magic happens yeah. where yeah. My, my I've had cameramen come over to my to the, the monitor or, or their eyepiece and say, look at this, look what's going on yeah. here. Yeah. And um, I, uh, I was filming about three to four years now on a, a faith based, uh, uh, I guess you'd call it a horror film or suspense type mystery film. And the actor Lance Henriksen. Oh, sure. Famous. Yeah. yeah. For, for aliens. Alien. And, aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Tombstone, no, not Tombstone, excuse me, um, Until Dark, I mm -hmm. think, mm -hmm. or After Dark, is it After Dark? So anyway, um, my, I yelled cut after he gave a performance and the director of photography was in tears and was inconsolable. He had been so moved by the performance wow. that, he, that he, he just completely broke down and, 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 and emotionally, which okay. is a good thing. Yeah. No, <laughs> but, that's a good so, thing. Yeah. So um, now there, there, if you really stretch it out, there's one actor I needed to work with or wanted to work with who was well into his nineties and uh, hit, the restrictions became a little bit too much for the production. Uh, he could only be work, work eight hours. And right. that includes from the time you knock at his door, wake him up, feed him, put him on in makeup and get him to the set that's included in the eight hours. Right. So yeah, uh, if it was someone that was uh, very much uh, oh, just a vignette, uh, a, a moment or two, uh, then, it, then it would might be worth it. But for something uh, that is sustained uh, over days and all that, now that you, you, that's not economically feasible and you might not even get insurance. But I just worked with Pat Boone. Right who just turned 88. The film is called The Mulligan. It's my most recent film and it's out right now, digitally uh, and, and the discs and, and digital release. And Pat Boone, my gosh, I told my AD, which is the guy that, or the woman who schedules you, we're gonna shoot this many pages today. We're gonna do these scenes, etc." I said, let's just use Pat for two to three pages of dialogue every other day let them have plenty of recharge time and all that well ad's will never do that they they pack actors together and whoever works out in clumps because that's the just the process and pat boone had to memorize up to six pages a day wow and he brought it and he was absolutely amazing i would say He's an anomaly, really, because yeah. a lot of people have a grandparent who might be 88 and they're in memory care. You know, yeah. I mean, Pat Boone is is a, a, a walking wonder. He's, yes. he's the a, a wonder of the world. And he is so gifted and so cordial and so wonderful to work with that uh, I would I would welcome another chance to work with him. And it's only been a year, but uh, I want to use him again while there's still more Pat Boone, you know. Yeah, I've, I've had the great honor of working with him twice in television for some stand-ups. And uh, this is a while back, more than 10 years, 15 years ago. And I will tell you on a personal level, uh, Pat Boone is the nicest man in the world. He is gracious, easy to work with. He wants to just know, what do you want? Where do I stand? What do I do? Maybe I'm, I'm sure that you had something very similar 
in in respect. I mean, you're doing a film and I was doing TV standups. He's just a really nice guy and uh, phenomenally famous back in his day, especially the 50s. Oh my goodness. He was a heartthrob uh, back back in the day. A really nice guy. Uh, and, so, and yeah. Greg, just, just a follow-up to sure. uh, something I might not have answered adequately. Some of these more mature actors, every single one of them has taken me by the arm. We've stepped aside for one minute and they said, just tell me what you want. Yes. And it wasn't because we were having a difficulty with filming. It was well before with the cameras rolled. I'm your guy or lady. Um, uh, Lee Merriweather is in that category of phenomenally gifted, very generous and um, un unbelievable to work with. Um, I should say this quick story. I, this might even be a separate segment. I'm not sure, but when I was growing up in Wausau, Wisconsin, and going to the Grand Theater, which was one of those palaces that had huge columns on either side of the screen, a huge heavy velvet curtain would open. Uh, there were balconies, uh, you know, with those little bitty side balconies people could sit in. And it was just an amazing uh, palace to the art of the movie. And when I saw Dr. Zhivago there multiple times, Omar Sharif struck me as this unbelievable guy. And guess and, what happened? And guess what happened? As we were getting ready to film um, the, the One Night with the King in, in Rajasthan, India, uh, in Jodhpur, the town, my one of the producers, Larry Mortoff, said to me, hey, I think I can get Omar Sharif. And I want, stop it. Don't torture me like that. You're killing me. He goes, I think I can get Omar Sharif. I said, Larry, whatever you want, let's do it. And he got Omar Sharif. And the first thing is, uh, the, Omar is still in Paris where he lived. Uh, and, and his secretary or assistant, personal assistant said, does anybody in India need anything? And I went, yeah, maybe I'm a smart aleck. If you don't know, um, I said, yeah, I'll have some uh, pate, uh, you know, or foie gras, you know, uh, and, and uh, liver basically um, a gourmet and you serve it on crackers and bread. About a week later was this huge thing in my hotel room of pates, uh, red wine, Bordeaux, uh, cheeses, crackers, wine openers, everything. And it said, Omar Sharif. Oh my, oh my God. And this so, all, and, and this is almost impossible to get in India, the types oh, of things you were talking about. It was flown in. And so I, I was in my office in, in, in India. My meeting was with Mr. Omar Sharif and he walked in the door and you have to picture him wearing all black, except for a silver belt silver-ish shoes and silver hair wow. he was he was resplendent and yeah. he walked in and we talked about his beard we talked about his character we talked about his dialogue and everything was set after about an hour and he was leaving and i i couldn't i i couldn't help myself i said mr sharif the reason i'm directing movies is because of you 
Wow. <laughs> wow. And, and David Lean. And um, he he nodded. He'd heard it before, you know. <laughs> but it would have been disingenuous of me not to say that. And uh, uh, what an amazing man. Uh, uh, I could talk about him for hours and uh, just uh, uh, so, so happy that I've had that opportunity. I really could not, if I, if I didn't direct another movie, if I wasn't ever used again for any reason, I would be happy. What a treat it is to listen to feature film director Michael Seibel, also his wisdom and years of experience, things you can learn from, things that are creative and inspiring. And uh, we thank him for being part of the show. Thank you, Michael Seibel. You've been listening to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast with Craig D. Forrest, brought to you by Matchstick Media International, dedicated to excellence in media through inspiration, vision, and education. To learn more, visit us on the web at matchstickmedia.org. That's matchstickmedia.org. Your generous donations, large or small, help defray costs for producing this creative podcast. Thanks for listening and subscribing.